And if you would, I'd like you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew 6 and verse 7 for one of the first texts that we're going to look at together. It's Matthew 6 and verse 7. It's also listed in your notes there, so you can find these passages later as well. Now, as we start into this, I want to ask you men the question, can a, can a person be saved without being able to read the Bible? Sure. Yeah. yeah, somebody can be saved without being able to read the Bible. Can, can a person be saved without having ever prayed? No. I mean, you just think about it like when you were first born, what did you do? You cried. <laughs> yeah, you breathed. You, you cried out to the only one who could nourish you and care for you. It's the same thing that happens when you're born again to Jesus Christ. Is that The first thing that happens is prayer. A, a person can become a Christian uh, without ever being able to read the scripture. You know, the word can still come to them uh, verbally. But we're people who are blessed with, we are able to read. Uh, we do have God's word. But when we think about you know, if you were to pick which one is more important, prayer or the word, maybe prayer. Because you, you could uh, still be born again without being able to read. And when it comes to thinking about prayer, this is something that is true. All of us, when we were first born again, we cried out to our Heavenly Father in faith and in, out of our need for the forgiveness that only He can provide. And we see that in the beginning of this prayer that uh, Jesus taught to his disciples and how to pray. And if you start to verse 7 there, chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus teaches us when we pray, we're not to offer up uh, empty phrases or repetitious phrases or thinking that we'll be heard because we uh, said some certain slogan or because we repeated it many times to God. But rather, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want you to notice that he doesn't begin with the words, my Father, but that he says, our Father and he's recognizing that, you know, in your praying, that you're praying in relationship to other people, uh, that you've been saved into God's family. And this whole prayer, as we're going to see, is filled with prayer requests. But I want you to see the prayer requests that are here and ask yourself, are these the kind of prayer requests that I have? And here's the, here's the first one. Hallowed be your name. Prayer request number one. And God, may your name be honored in all of the earth. Uh, may the earth be filled with the knowledge of who you are, and may you receive the, the honor and respect and worship that is due to your name. When you think about this, this prayer begins with knowing who God is. God is our Father, and it informs our prayer request because He is our Father in heaven and the King over everything in existence. We pray that His name would be honored in everything in existence. Which leads to the next prayer request, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an important point about prayer here that 
we learn, which is that prayer isn't about getting God to conform to our will, but it's about getting our will to conform to His. A lot of times we think of, you know, when we do pray, we say, well, God, I want you to do this, this, and this for me. But the reason that we're praying is not to get God to do our will, but to get our will to bend to His. Uh, to pray as Jesus did, you know, not my will, but yours be done. But as we're to be about that kingdom work, we also need God to sustain us as we're seeking to conform to His will, which is the next prayer request. Give us this day our daily bread. What we're praying in that is, God, provide for me what's necessary to keep me alive so that I can keep honoring your name and proclaiming your name. And give me the necessary food and clothing so that I can keep being your witness in this life to my dying day. The next prayer request is then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, here what is being prayed is God help me to live in reconciled relationships with other people. So that everybody can see that sinners can be reconciled to God. And how do people know that uh, Jesus Christ was sent into the world to reconcile sinners to himself? How do they know that God loves sinners? Well, by the fact that there's Christians who love one another, who gather with one another in fellowship. They see the love of God in human relationships. And this... Final prayer request in this prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, prayer makes us ready to live for God. It's not so I pray that God would help us to flee temptation, to pursue holiness. And we believe that God is going to answer these prayers all in the positive. He's going to keep us from temptation. He will ultimately deliver us from evil. It's his sovereign, sovereign plan to do so. If you pray these sort of things, they're according to God's will, and he's always going to answer them. So this prayer, the reason that I brought this up in prayer in your relationship to God is so that you can look back at this prayer with a greater understanding so that you can use it in your own praying. You think about what is this particular piece of prayer that Jesus taught me about inform how I pray? Because I want to pray the things that he taught me to pray. So this is a passage you can go to over and over again to have Jesus disciple you in how to pray. More specifically to our task in thinking about our ministry to the church as men within the church. There's a text in Colossians 1 that I want you to join me in looking at together. I'm going to point out a few things here for prayer in your ministry to the church. As you turn to Colossians chapter 1, I'd like to mention this word ministry isn't just talking about a, protect, a particular profession that some men have. The word ministry just means service. It's something that every Christian does. And one of the things that I learned while I was uh, learning the Greek text is that I kept seeing this word deacon show up a whole lot. But it was just regular Christians who were deaconing. It's like everybody was a deacon and they were deaconing. They were servants who were serving. They were ministers who were ministering. They didn't see uh, ministry as just something that uh, certain people with suit and ties go into, or it's reserved for just guys who make money when they do things for Jesus. But it's something that everybody is a part of. Every true believer is brought into the ministry of the new covenant, as Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. 
So all of us as men within the church, we have a, a ministry to the church in concerns of prayer. But then that raises the question for us, well, what do we pray about for the church? Well, we see this in the example of Paul and how he prayed for the Colossian church. If you're looking there in chapter 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 3. He says, we always thank God. This is how, this is prominent in all of Paul's praying. It's thankfulness to God. Uh, we want to be men who pray in thanksgiving to God, but for what? He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It's like when you pray for other Christians, does it start with, Lord, thank you for this believer, this brother, this sister. And the things that he's thankful for is what you see in verse 4. He says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in, in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. You know, as you think about these things, there's three words that I think are highlighted here, which you probably have as some artwork in your house somewhere, which is faith, love, and hope. And what he's thankful for is, Lord, I, I'm thankful that there's other men who have faith that would gather together for breakfast to talk about your word together. Lord, I thank you that there's other brothers that love one another, that they would get up early in the morning and cook breakfast, set up tables, set up chairs so we could have a time of being encouraged and prayer in the word. I thank you, God, that we have a shared hope that we're looking forward to Jesus Christ coming and reigning on the earth as he promised and making all things right and abolishing sin and death. When we pray, we want to be thankful for the faith that there is in the other saints, the love that we see in the other saints, the shared hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Also in Paul's prayers, there's three other things that he prays that I want to highlight for you. And you see those in verse 9. And the three words that I want to highlight there is knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So here's Paul's prayer request that he says that he prays for the Colossians. Picking up in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. One of the ways that I draw this out in teaching this is I draw a little triangle and I write the words knowledge, wisdom and understanding to show that they're all connected to one another. And there's a difference between each of those words. The knowledge is the facts. You know, we're learning facts about the Bible, facts about who Jesus is. But then the wisdom is the skill to be able to use those facts in life. Then the understanding piece is thinking. You're able to think things through to then apply the correct skills that are needed for the moment. In the middle of that triangle, you could draw yourself a screwdriver, a wrench, a hammer. Because these things are a toolbox. So knowledge is, you know that there's tools in the toolbox. You know what they are. You know that there's a difference between a hammer and a screwdriver. 
Uh, wisdom is the skill to use each one. Not only do you know about it, but you can actually use it correctly. And understanding is the thinking. You know which tool is the right one for the, for the job. Like when you look at a screw that needs turned, you know that the hammer isn't exactly the job for that. It's the screwdriver. What Paul is praying for is that the church would build their toolbox of knowledge of who God is from his word. You know, when we're going to, to God's word, one of the ways that we apply scripture is just learning scripture. Uh, it's through doing things like having a, a, a yearly, daily Bible reading sort of thing. So we grow in familiarity with the scripture so that when it's taught to us, we're going to be better prepared to learn the skill of using that scripture that we're learning. We're going to have a better skill of thinking about God's world, God's way, because we've learned about it from God's word. And all of this is tied into glorifying God through his gospel being multiplied throughout the world. Because that's God's creation purpose, is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the knowledge of who he is. And King Jesus has delivered us from darkness into his kingdom to proclaim that message and to be about that business with the life that he has given to us to steward for the sake of making him known. When it comes to praying, the reason that I gave you these passages from Matthew 6 and Colossians 1 is because they're passages you can turn to when you pray. Uh, a lot of times, if you're like myself, sometimes you sit down to pray and you don't know what to say. You want to say something. Uh, you think about that even when we sing some songs together. Like, I want to praise Jesus Christ, I just don't know what to say. Well, somebody wrote a song to give you some words to help you. Well, it's like, what about when you want to praise God in prayer and you just need somebody to give you some words? Well, that's part of what Scripture does for us. We can turn to Matthew 6 and Jesus gives us words to pray, concepts to pray. You see that in Colossians 1. A lot of time on our Sunday morning prayer meeting, we'll turn to Colossians 1 and make sure that we pray these things for our church because we know that they're according to God's will. They're from God's word. And they also shape our own hearts to desire the knowledge of God, his wisdom, and the understanding he gives us from his word. We want to be men who not only pray the word, but also pray together. You know, a lot of times we often, when we think about prayer, we think of uh, being alone, or we think about prayer as something that's uh, done silently. But a lot of times prayer is done corporately. And out loud with other people. It's a way that we uh, worship together. Uh, I don't know what your ministry schedule and such is like around here. But usually in churches you have Bible studies and prayer meetings. But it's the Bible studies that get the most attendance rather than the prayer meetings. Perhaps we should think about balancing those sort of things out. Or perhaps prioritizing uh, the prayer meeting. You know, we get the, you know, given your schedule, not every guy can make everything. But to think about, to elevate the importance of priority and prayer in our mind, where there's opportunities together to worship God through prayer around His Word, we want to prioritize those things so that we can have the blessing of that fellowship and seeing how God works through that. 
prayer affects us by making us ready to live for God. It's also, in, as we pray, it makes us excited about what God's going to do. Because it makes us aware of what He's doing. It's aligning our hearts to His will, His gospel mission, His sanctifying work among His people. And it increases our joy, just as Jesus talked about in John 16 when He said to His disciples, Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And just like that. Corey asked how he could pray for me before that Sunday that I was going to, to preach several weeks back. I asked him to pray that it would be my best sermon ever. And then my wife saying that she thought it was my best sermon ever. There, there was joy and that that happened. You know, it wasn't coincidental. I knew that you know, another brother prayed for that and it happened. I guess it was the best. I don't know. I pray that for whoever's preaching on Sunday. I always pray that this will be the best sermon that the preacher has ever preached. And it will be the most fruitful one ever. If you keep praying that Sunday, things can only get better every Sunday. Amen. So you can take those and pray on yourselves as well. Now I want to talk a bit about the Word in your relationship to God. So we've talked a bit about prayer. I want to talk about the, your, the Word in your relationship to God, I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 first. First Peter 1, 22 reads, Having purified yourselves by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word in relationship to God here tells us that you were born again through the living and abiding word of God. And that, that changes how, how you live. You become a new creation with new desires. You're putting away old evil desires. Malice. Envy. Deceit, hypocrisy, slander, these things that are mentioned. You were saved through the word and also instructed by the word to put away sin and to turn toward Christ. And I want you to see that this text, it also commands your affections. He says to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. But you can see that Peter's correcting something that's often backwards in our own hearts. You can probably think of times that you sat down to read God's word and you didn't long for it. It was just something that you were disciplining yourself to do. Peter is commanding you to long for God's word. But how does that happen? As he refers to it as milk, how do you end up longing for milk? Well, you drink it and you partake of it and you learn that it's good, that it gives you nourishment, that it gives you 
health and that grows your enjoyment of it because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We want to take God's word in our life that we've been born again to and not only to taste it, but to chew on it and to ingest it and digest it so that it gives us spiritual health to long even more for God's word and to walk in faithfulness to it. So God commands our affections. He commands not only the head, but the heart and the hands, our thinking, our feeling, and our doing. Now, a man can get to heaven without money. A man can get to heaven without higher education. He, he can get to heaven without money, education, health, or friends, but you can't get to heaven without being born again through the living and abiding Word of God. You need to hear and believe the Word of God. Don't be ignorant of the Bible. Know what your Creator and Redeemer teaches you about who He is and about who you are and about why you exist. Often we're more experienced in sin than we are in God's Word. We don't want to be experienced in sin in infants in the Bible, but rather to be infants in sin and to be experienced in the Bible, knowing it and living in it. So I exhort you men to long for and to live in the pure nourishment of God's Word, to be men of the Word. I want to talk also a bit about the Word not only in your relationship to God, but the Word in your ministry to the church. All of us have a ministry to the church. All of us are servants to one another. As we consider this concept, I want you to turn to Ephesians 4.11 with me. And as Corey had talked about in the concept of corporate worship, the, the word is cent central in everything we do. You think about our Sunday gathering. We pray the word, we read the word, we sing the word, we preach the word, we see the word lived out in fellowship with one another. Uh, we also see a visible display of the word in the Lord's Supper or when somebody is baptized. Everything in existence is to be about the word of God. And that's how your Bible starts in Genesis 1. It's in the beginning, God said, God said, God said, God said, ten times it said, God said. Everything in existence is about what God says. The word is to be central in everything in our lives. That's especially true for us who are men made by God. Some of us husbands, some of us fathers, all of us churchmen, uh, all of us by God's creation order, our leaders, all of us are influencing people. All of us are examples to others for better or for worse. And it's God's word that tells us how to think, how to feel, how to live. God's word tells us how to use our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our time, our money, everything in life. And he's given us as gifts to one another. He's saved us by his grace and he's graciously given us as gifts to one another to help each other grow in knowing him and showing him as well. To grow in knowing and showing God's truth, to grow in learning and living for the glory of God. 
And we see this concept of God's grace gifts in Ephesians 4, 11. The text reads, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So notice a couple of the gifts that are listed there. They're shepherds and teachers. You also call those uh, pastors, elders, overseers, or other words that we use for that same office within the church. But what is the purpose of pastors and teachers according to verse 12? Equip. Yeah, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So then what's the task of the saints? Yeah, the work of the ministry. Uh, sometimes people misunderstand this as the, you know, the shepherds and the teachers uh, equip themselves to only do the work of ministry by themselves. And it says instead that they're among other fellow believers, but they're a unique gift. It's like not everybody in the church is a pastor teacher, but everybody has a unique set of spiritual gifts. Everybody has a unique role. The pastor teacher is more focused on teaching than other people who are involved within other things in the church to help build up the body for the work of ministry that God has gifted other believers to do within the body. The text goes on to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So when a church functions like this, it... it, brings about unity within that body of believers. It also helps them to grow in maturity because everybody's recognizing that they're a minister of God's word and that there's some who teach and they're to help to equip you so that you can carry on in the ministry that God has given to you as an individual. This text goes on to help us to understand that there's one body with one head, which is Christ. He's the one who gives the instruction to the body. But there's many members, and each member is unique within it to, to do its unique role in the growth and the health of the whole body. There are no professional Christians. Uh, ministry is tied to everything that you do in life. Uh, there shouldn't be anything in the Christian life that isn't ministry. Uh, ministry can be everything from how you take care of your yard to how you love your wife to how you raise your children to seeing a, a need with another brother within the church. And like, you, you can meet that need. You, somebody's like, oh, man, I need, I need this money for this thing, but they don't have it. But you, ha- you have it, and you just give it to them. Or they need help or assistance with something because uh, there's, there's health issues in the family. Somebody's in the hospital. Things need taken care of around the house. You think, I can do that. Uh, You're a gift to them to carry out that spiritual ministry. We are ordinary men with an extraordinary God who are seeking to grow in knowing and showing God's truth to others. To grow in learning and living for the glory of God. And we want to live as Jesus' church, Jesus' way, as it's laid out here in Scripture. To see that there's the unique role of pastors and teachers, but that's to equip all of the saints for the work of ministry so we can be built up together. 
You'll never be part of anything more important in your life than the church of Jesus Christ. And as you think about that, that's uh, something that we perhaps need to, to be reminded of over and over again. A lot of times we think uh, the things that I, the chores that I need to do around my house is more important. Watching the sports game is uh, more important. My hobby is more important. Vacation is more important. Relaxing is more important. There is nothing more important than the church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You might think a lot of times we could be deceived by thinking that perhaps it's people that are civil authorities that are the, the movers and shakers of what's going on in the world. You know, if you think back to that uh, event all the way back in the book of Exodus with the great Egyptian superpower under the, the pharaoh of that time, the two ladies that turned the world upside down were two midwives. Uh, they, they weren't uh, prominent in society. Uh, they were nobodies. They were supervisors of birthing centers. But God uses the foolish things of the world. He uses the nobodies of the world to turn the world upside down for his upside down kingdom. But when we think about the importance of the church of Jesus Christ, we want to think about the church the way that he does. We want to give ourselves to the church the way that he does. We want to love the church the way that he does. We want to sacrifice for the church the way that he does. We want to be a servant to the church the way that he does and the way that he has instructed us. Which leaves us to examine our own hearts. And it's one thing to say that the church of Jesus Christ is the most important thing on the planet. It's another to live that way. So may God give us lives that are without hypocrisy in that way. That we have been able to, to say that the church is the most important thing and to live that way as well. And to live in such a way that it wouldn't even need to be said. People would just be able to see it by how we chose to live our lives. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, you see this sort of concept there, where Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Which helps us to understand as we imitate God, we imitate him in love. And what does love do? Love gives. It gives of oneself to others for their good and God's glory. Thinking on these things and the importance of God's word, we're not going to be able to minister out God's word if we're not putting in God's word. We need to put God's word in us if it's going to come out of us for the glory of God. That's through reading scripture. That's also, God has not only given us the scripture to help us grow, but he's also given us his spirit who authored the scripture that causes us to be born again and strengthens us to walk in God's word. But he's also given us his servants, now Bible teachers who also help us to understand God's word. That be your own pastors, Sunday school teachers, or it comes through reading good books as well. We also, our fellowship is around God's word. We want to speak God's word to one another. So when you think about your relationship to God's word, Learn something from it. Read a lot of it. Remember at least one thing. And you know, one of the practices I had uh, early as a Christian was when I would read the Bible in the morning, I would try to remember one thing until one person, that one thing. 
and just gave me a way to be able to either witness to somebody or to fellowship with another believer around that one one thing that I could remember from my Bible reading that morning. We want to be disciple-making disciples in that way and to recognize that this is a task that God has given to all of us. Some of us have speaking gifts. Some of us have serving gifts within the church. And I'm going to, to end with turning to 1 Peter 4, verse 10, to talk about these spiritual gifts in relation to God's word as we come to a close here. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. This gives us a definition of spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift. So every born again believer has some sort of spiritual gift. Well, what do you do with it? Use it to serve one another. So a spiritual gift is something that's used to serve somebody else. He says, as good stewards of God's very grace. So when you exercise your spiritual gifts, it, it shows God's grace to somebody else. Mm. It shows that God cares about that thing and what you're, you're serving and helping with. Uh, God, God cares about the needs of his people. And then it teaches us various spiritual gifts here. It says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. So it says, some people have speaking gifts. But God wants them to speak as the oracles of God to speak his word, his wisdom, not merely their word and their wisdom. The second set of spiritual gifts is serving gifts. It says, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God has given us strength to serve one another, to display his grace to others throughout the world. It's a, a witness that God is gracious to sinners and an encouragement to the saints to see God's grace at work in real flesh and blood people. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, this is the goal of our using our spiritual gifts, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As I think about these things, I remember a time I wasn't at a men's breakfast, but it was a men's supper. It was a similar event to this, and we were in line to get our tacos for supper, and one of the brothers had come in late, and as he came in late, he said, guys, I'm sorry that I didn't make it on time. My car broke down on the, the road, and I had to catch a ride the rest of the way here, and as we were in line waiting for our tacos, there were three guys behind me, and it was one of the deacons I found out later. He walked up to a couple of men. He said, do you guys want to fix this car or do you want to pay for it? And I'm just overhearing this conversation. I thought, you know, helping this guy isn't an option. <laughs> hmm. He's just saying, look, are, are we going to fix it ourselves by tomorrow or are we going to pay for somebody else to do it? Because we are going to fix the car. <clears throat> and, you know, as I was hearing, hearing that, I was just thinking, man, this is the grace of God. I mean, this guy doesn't even know that this is happening right now. And these guys don't even know that I'm eavesdropping on their conversation. <laughs> but even just being around that as a young man, it shaped something in me. I thought, I, I want to grow up to be like those guys. Mm -hmm. When I see a, a need and I can meet it, uh, I want to be about it. I want to be doing that thing 
for the glory of God and serving him in the ordinary, mundane, everything, everyday sort of things of life and loving other people. So don't underestimate the sanctifying work that God is doing in you and through you as you serve God through very ordinary things like gathering for a men's breakfast and being willing to spend time together and think about God's word together or even just seeking to, to help one another in the needs that you see arise. God is doing greater things than you'll ever know in this life. And we'll talk about those and the future eternal state and catch up on them over time. And we'll have plenty of time in that time. But right now we're over time. So I'm going to pray and we uh, can continue in our fellowship.